Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Dr. Nicole Appellian. She's a herbalist, biologist, anthropologist, researcher, mother, uh, survival TV celebrity. Very interesting and an author. So we're going to talk about Apothecary and the Origins Project. So Nicole, thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. I know it's not the most important thing about you, but what is this uh, survivor TV type thing? What does this credential mean? Oh, I, uh, I've been on the TV show Alone on the History Channel twice, and also a show on UK Channel 4 called Surviving the Stone Age, where we recreated what life would have been like in the Stone Age while uh, spending a month in Bulgaria, living as people would have back then. Oh, wow. Could you talk about that for a little bit? Like, what did you experience? Sure. Well, both experiences were, were extremely different. The survival show in Bulgaria was really focused on only using technology where we we would have had, you know, 10,000 years ago, say. So nothing modern. Uh, Everything we made, we made from scratch and we, you know, only used tools that we would have used back then. So no metal, no modern materials, um, no clothing as we normally would have it. We, everything was made of of buckskin and tanned. Uh, It was quite an interesting experience and it was collaborative as well. So there were seven of us working together, not in any sort of competition, but really trying to live as we would have back then versus a show like Alone where we're dropped solo by helicopter and we have to survive on our own and we even are filming ourselves. So there's not even a a film crew there. So two very different experiences, both completely enjoyable. Was there any like unintended positive effects of it? Or was it a negative experience or was it just 
totally different from what you thought? Uh, both were really positive. I really love spending time off the grid in the wild. And I really felt that all of those opportunities, you know, gave me this opportunity to be able to stay, you know, out in the middle of nowhere and really forage and use the medicines and the foods from the land and build shelters. And everyone had a different environment. One was in Mongolia, one was on the west coast of Canada uh, in Vancouver Island, and one was in Bulgaria. So three distinct environments. And it really, it's fun because every time I do a new show or a new experience like that, there's a whole new set of parameters and a whole new environment that I get to learn about. So I always find that. Yeah, that's great. And then what about your other parts of work? What else are you focused on? Other things that I'm focused on, I have a couple books out, one on the sort of great outdoors and gear and wildlife and such. One on herbal remedies called The Lost Book of Herbal Remedies, The Healing Power of Plant Medicine, where I delve heavily into medicinal plants. And another that's coming out next month called The Forager's Guide to Wild Foods. And that's about plants, lichens, mushrooms, and seaweeds. And I'm trying to make the most comprehensive book I could. I could. So I'm really excited for that wild foods book to come out. And the other thing that takes a lot of my time that I love is my herbal apothecary, Nicole's Apothecary. And there I provide salves and herbal extracts and tinctures for people's wellness and health. I mean, tell me a little bit more about your, your current projects. What are you focusing on literally in this moment? What are you trying to figure out? Personal projects I'm working on right now. Well, today I've been planting, you know, home projects. So, you know, with COVID, we've all been home so much. And I also just love to grow as many as my own herbs and food as I can. So today I'm getting my seeds started in my, in my garden and then uh, and getting them planted to uh, put in my greenhouse and mostly been spending a lot of time just, you know, working on my own property. And of course, writing. I have a weekly, a twice weekly blog that comes out about gratitude and nature connection and wild herbs and wild medicine. And also, you know, the things like the apothecary and the final final parts of my of the new book, I'm still proofing it. So that's taking up my my time at the moment. Okay. And, and the new book, what's it about? And we'll go over that a bit. The new book is about wild foods and foraging. So it's a guide for, I mean, it works as a guide for anyone who's either new to going out and finding their own food in the wild, just out their backyard, or for people who have a lot of experience. I include identification features. I include range maps, really good ID photos. And also I include poisonous lookalikes and mm. also a little bit about the medicinal properties, but I really mostly go into that. What parts of the, let's say plant are edible. And I provide some recipes and how to harvest them. So how did, I mean, how do you start foraging safely? Did you read books or did you go with experienced guides or did you like tentatively test and taste and say, ah. <laughs> you know, like, like how, how is it best to do it? I've been really lucky to learn about wild foods starting out through mentors. You know, as a child growing up, we did gar we always gardened. And, you know, my my grandmother always would take we'd go for long walks and she'd pick things for tea. And uh, you know, that really started me on my journey. And then I spent a lot of time in southern Africa and Botswana with a, a community of Kalahari San Bushmen. And though their foods are very different, obviously. I sort of learned how to look at my landscape as my pharmacy and my grocery store, much like they do. And when I came back to the States after spending a large amount of time with them, I really started finding mentors and delving in and, of course, reading everything I could. And around here where I live in the Pacific Northwest and, and really 
across North America and really the world. There's so much out your back door, uh, especially things that often people think of as weeds like plantain and dandelion and chicory and things like that that are actually may lay our baby weeds in your lawn, but in actuality are both medicinal and are amazing source of free food. I don't know if, if you have consciousness of this, but the plants that are local to you, like how many of the possible uses that you would need them for do they provide? What I'm saying is, if you look at different peoples around the world and the plants that are near them, do they coincidentally have, even though they're probably different plants, do they coincidentally have, I don't know, everything they need medicinal wise or health wise? Like what, what just naturally that's a great happens question. to appear locally? Yeah, that's a really great question. In my experience, no matter where you are in the world, there are enough plants, lichens, mushrooms, etc., in your area to provide really most everything of what you'd need for both medicine and food. I find it interesting that, you know, no matter where you go, of course, the plants, like you said, are very different, but the breadth of them really cover the same, the same things worldwide. Yeah, I was wondering if that was the case. And if so, it's just, it's a funny coincidence, you know, since that's the case. How many different locales have you forged in? And, you know, again, I guess you were with guides if you weren't in your local locale, but you know, how many different places have you forged and, and found cool stuff? Wow, I don't even know how many places. I, I, I don't know if I could count. Every time I travel or spend time in a new place, I delve in and find someone local and get local guidebooks and learn about that area. And so, boy, hundreds. I mean, all over the world, I've foraged for food uh, with people who, have, who are local to native to that area. And I've learned so much. Probably learned more, forgotten more than I've learned, of course. But I, I don't even know how many environments, you know, as many as there are, I'd say. <laughs> There's very few that I, I haven't tapped yet. No, that's great. That's really great. And you've done this all over the world? I like have. different areas. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets... 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. You know, from tropical areas to tropical rainforests to deserts to temperate rainforests to northern boreal regions. So really any sort of environment that you could imagine. Obviously, you, I have my specialties. You know, the Kalahari Desert is a specialty of mine because I spend so much time there. The you know temperate rainforest where I live is a specialty of mine because I spend so much time here. But really, I, I feel like I could get by in most environments and surprisingly, there are similar species throughout the whole world. For example, when I, I was in Mongolia, there was yarrow growing there, which is something I have here at home and really kind of grows across kind of everywhere on the globe. And it's something that I always like to have on me because it's so good at stopping bleeding. It's a great antibacterial. And I find that, you know, I'm able to, to find, for example, that plant pretty much everywhere I go. Oh, wow. Okay. So when someone wants to start out, what what would they look for first stuff to cook with and eat or medicinal stuff? Or like what's the easiest to find and understand and not pick the wrong thing of? 
Yeah, plants can be really overwhelming for people because there's so many of them, right? We all know all the animals because there's not that many. But if you look at plants, some people get completely overwhelmed just by the scope of it. How am I going to figure out what I can eat? And my advice is always start with one or two that you already know. For example, dandelion. You know, I think most people know what a dandelion looks like. Obviously, you want to get it from an area that hasn't been sprayed. But, you know, you can use the root for for tea and medicine. And if you're looking for food, the leaves are extremely healthy. I love to take the dandelion flowers when they're still in flower form and they're still yellow and batter them up and fry them. They're delicious. Even my kids like them. I like to take dandelion buds and pickle them to make capers, homemade capers. So I say start with something you already know and then add a plant a week or a plant a month on. And very soon you'll have, you know, 12, 24, et cetera, plants under your belt. And a book like the one I have coming out uh, is exceptionally useful. So you can actually double check and make sure you've got the right thing. Well, I mean, a lot of yards, they would spray pesticides and crap on them and fertilizers. How do you know where to go and make sure that the, the area hasn't been treated with all kinds of chemicals that would make you sick from eating the wild plants? That's a great question. So I, for me, I forage, for example, on my own land. I don't don't spray my lawn with any bad chemicals or anything like that. And so I know that the dandelions, for example, in my yard are are safe to eat. Uh, So there's no spray on them. So if you don't, for example, spray your own area, your own garden, your own backyard, then you know that that is a safe area to gather that from. So that's always my recommendation. Stop spraying, (laughs) stop spraying all the bad chemicals and you'll have a place to forage. Okay. What do you notice the uh, the effects are? I mean, even if you're just eating it for nutrition, have you noticed any uh, any changes in you? Or, you know, do you eat a substantial amount of this stuff? Or is it really just garnish and just an occasional type snack? We eat a fair amount in our house. You know, there's a lot, it's springtime now and a lot is coming up. So I just, I often snack as I'm walking through the forest. I, I'm lucky enough to have woods right behind my house. So you know, I'll go for a walk. Just yesterday, I was out for, for a walk, and I'll go out after this after this interview, and picking up miner's lettuce that's coming up and other things that are that are growing. And once you get to know that, you know, you can really forage as you're walking. And then I always like to collect some and bring it home to throw in a salad or throw as a side dish, or, you know, depending on what you're collecting, you could even have, you know, it as a main dish. So really, you know, there's, there's so much that I use on it on a daily basis. And I really feel like Gathering wild foods is so wonderful because A, it's free, right? You're not spending money at the supermarket. B, you don't have to drive to get there. You're right here. It's right out your backyard for the most part. And then you can also transplant things into your own garden from the wild, which is a great way to have what you need at home. And also, I feel like we get the nutrition better out of it. A lot of wild foods are extremely nutritious and our bodies kind of know what to do with it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes versus, you know, things that have been modified. So I just, I love going out and, and collecting things just in the woods and, and off my off my lawn in my own yard. And I feel that everybody can do that with just a little knowledge under their belt. Have you considered getting a metagenomic sequencing on your microbiome, to how, how unusual or interesting it is? Right. I actually, I haven't done it. That would be really fascinating to do because I do eat so many wild foods. I'd love to do a study like that. It's a great idea. I'll, I'll put that on my to-do list. Well, yeah. I mean, you may, you know, to see how it's changed your microbiome. I mean, I was going to ask you about allergies too. Do you notice that you had more or less allergies after eating this diet? Like what, what physical changes have you noticed? In that? Well, dandelion root, for example, is really good for your liver. 
So I always try to do a detox with dandelion root. I like it as a tincture, which is what I make in my apothecary, because then you just have to take a dropper full of it. All a tincture is, is a way to extract the medicine into a form that's really concentrated and easy to take. So instead of taking a pill or eating, you know, dandelion root's pretty bitter, so I don't want to just eat a lot of it or drinking a lot of tea. A tincture is a way to get a concentrated amount. So for example, for allergies, I really like stinging nettle. A lot of people, you know, don't like stinging nettle because it stings, but it's an amazing fiber. I have a shirt made out of it. I've made rope out of it. But for allergies, it's, you know, really my go-to and you can eat it. You can make tea out of it. But really when it's allergy season, I like to have it in a tincture form like I have in my apothecary because I can just take a dropper full of it and allergies just melt away. It's, it works incredibly well. I've known. Oh, really? You take it and then your nose clears or your allergies go away? Exactly. I've had so many people say to me, um, I was been in the Cascade Mountains a lot recently where a lot of people have allergies. There's just so much pollen there. And I've been sharing my stinging nettle tincture with a lot of people. And there were two friends of mine who said nothing has worked for them ever. They've tried every every prescribed and over-the-counter medication. And that's what did it. They tried that and they came back to me 15 minutes later and said, so I'm better. So I really think there's so much power in plant medicine. And for me, I take medicinal mushrooms every day. I take reishi, lion's mane, and and turkey tail because I have an autoimmune disease. I have MS. And I feel that those mushrooms really help me with my immune system and keep me me healthy on a daily basis. So there's so many. Is your your MS strong or has it uh, grown weaker? Or like, what have you noticed in that regard after you've taken this stuff? Right. Well, when I got diagnosed uh, 22 years ago, you know, I went downhill really quickly and I had a couple of years where I really couldn't walk. So I was very, very ill and was using a wheelchair and a cane if I could even get out of bed. So wow. yeah, it, it was How really, old were you? I was 29, 30. Jesus, and, you know, after using all the Western medication, you know, that they, that they prescribed, because when I got diagnosed, I was scared and followed my, you know, neurologist orders you know, I kept going downhill. And finally, I took charge of my own health, went off my Western meds, took charge of my diet and started delving into the world of herbal medicine more deeply. And really, I I feel that that, well, I know that that has been what has made me better. I have no symptoms. I am, you never know I had it. (laughs) I'm walking around healthy, healthier than most people my age, so I know. And uh, I really credit it to a change of diet the herbal medicines that I use on a daily basis, and also just my mindset, being out in nature, giving gratitude. I know that that has a big impact on health. And for anyone- You should tell people uh, you're a hundred years old. They'll be like, really? (laughs) Really? I know, right? It's uh, for anyone who's suffering an autoimmune illness, there's so many people, you know, on my website, nicolapellian.com. Maybe you could post the link with the podcast. There's- sure really good information on what to do. I, I have what I do for MS on a daily basis. And I really feel that it translates to any, any autoimmune disease. So that information is, is out there for the taking for anyone who needs it. And I really just try to provide that so that people can hopefully start their own wellness journey. So what's, uh, what are some of the nuances of plant medicine that you've written about in your book, or you just know from your personal experience that I know would make people say, wow, I didn't know that. What's some of the coolest things you've learned or discovered or uh, felt from it? Well, I think just how how well they work. I feel that sometimes people look at plants and mushrooms and lichens and, and think, oh, I don't know, it probably doesn't work as well. But the reality is, is that it works extremely well. And it's something we've been using you know, for tens of thousands of years. As, as an example, 
on um, Alone season two, I was on Vancouver Island and I was gutting a salmon and I had a very, very large knife and I slipped because my hands were really, really cold. And I cut my knuckle off of my, my left hand on yeah. one of my fingers. And luckily I had gathered this same plant I talked about earlier, yarrow. I'd gathered it earlier in the season and had it drying in my shelter. So I went back to the shelter, took the yarrow, which was at that point sort of crumbly and dry, which was perfect, put it on my wound. It stopped the bleeding almost immediately. Um, And then the next two days were this crazy 48 hour storm where I actually couldn't leave my shelter because the wind was blowing so much. There were trees coming down and it was dangerous even to go outside. So I stayed in my homemade shelter for two days and soaked my finger in a mixture of that yarrow, which is a plant, and a lichen called usnia, which is sometimes called old man's beard. You can see it hanging from trees often. And I just would soak my finger every hour in that sort of hot, or that, that brewed up tea that I made. And I don't even have a scar to this day. So something like that could have been really dangerous in the field because I could have gotten blood poisoning. It could have, could have been really, really dangerous getting a bacterial infection. But using what I had on hand, which was just outside my door, I was able to not only heal my, myself, I was able to stave off the infection. And you can't even really tell to this day that I even even had an injury. So I think that's, yeah, that's a, really a cool. great story to exemplify sort of what what plants and, and lichens and mushrooms, et cetera, can do. Okay. Is your attention equal on, you know, fungi and plants and other other types of, you know, creatures like lichens or like where, like what are you finding is the difference in wild mushrooms that you find versus wild plants versus lichens or other types of substances? Are there, you know, do they have certain characteristics that are, you know, kept within plant families or within fungi only? That's a great question. Well, no one's ever asked me that. Such a good question. You know, I find that the, for me, the mushrooms, I tend to use like the reishi, lion's mane uh, and turkey tail. For me, I find they regulate my immune system. And since I have an autoimmune disease, it can kind of get out of control if I, so I can't use things that boost my immune system too much, like golden seal or echinacea. So for me, I find that those work extremely well. The mushrooms tend to be really good at at regulating the immune system without boosting it. So they're adaptogens. And they also seem such good antivirals. A lot, are, a lot of the lichens are really good antivirals and antibacterials and antifungals as well. So I do find that, you know, some of those groupings, like you say, tend to have things in common. The, for example, the, the mushrooms that I talked about all have extremely good anti-cancer properties as well. And really in places like Asia, turkey tail and reishi are frontline medicines for cancer. And now there's functional oncologists here in the United States who actually are starting to blend uses of those mushrooms with their Western cancer protocols because they can be used in conjunction with each other. So I find that that those groups, the lichens and the mushrooms seem to have their, their sort of characteristics and especially with also brain functioning and things like that. And then the plants have, have a wider breadth, perhaps I'd say. Okay. So how do people dip their toe into the world of, of herbs? Like what's the safest or easiest or most accessible stuff to start learning about? To dip your toe into the world of herbs, there's a few a few ways to do it. You know, you want to move slowly, I would say. If you can find a class, which is harder now with COVID, of course, but things are starting to open up. If you can find a class, find, find a class. That's such a great way to learn, is to learn from someone who knows more than you do. And there's plenty of classes available, and some are even available online. My newsletter... I think is on my blog, I really try to go into plants in depth, but 
in depth enough that for someone who knows about it, it's still interesting, but easy enough for identification and information for people new. So I have a newsletter that comes out twice a week, and there's a lot of information in that. I think that's a really nice way to dip your toe in. And then the other way would be to, you know, get a book, uh, start learning from things that have been written by people who, you know, know more than you. And, uh, and then the other thing I just think is important is dirt time, spending time outside with the plants or the mushrooms or whatever it is you're, you're spending time with. And really spending that good time out of time outside, watching things as they grow, watching things through the seasons. I like to take the same path. I like to divert from my path often as well. But, you know, if you take the same path every day or even every week, you get to see how things are shifting and how things change throughout the seasons. And then you get to see that, you know, this mushroom, maybe you don't know what it is when it's starting out, but, you know, you get to finally see it when it's got its full fruiting body. And you now next time when you see it in the younger stage, you'll know what it is. So I just think there's real importance in just spending time in nature. It's also really good for you. It makes people happy. Do you ever do like a video blog where you go out and you have a camera with you and you film stuff that you're pulling out of the ground and eating? Not very often. Um, I'm thinking of getting more into that. It's mainly a time thing. You know, I don't, I don't like to spend time in, that much time in front of the computer. So the whole idea of editing it, especially with my internet being so terrible, uploading things is really hard where I live. <laughs> but uh, yes, if I could get someone to come do the video, that would be fantastic. And I have, I have looked, looked into, into doing some of that. Mostly I write about it and try to provide really good, good photographs for people. But that is, it's on that to-do list <laughs> of possible things to do in the future, because I do think for some people really seeing a video is, is how it brings it home. But there are mm. lots of people who've done, done things like that as well. There are other, other good herbalists out there, of course. And I always think it's great to learn from more than one person too, because we all have different strengths and different, in, different information on different plants or different things that we've learned. Yeah. Uh, some of the plant people I've talked to, they, I guess I'll call it being woo woo, but they say the plants speak to them and they, the plants have energy and the plants teach them things. I mean, do you ascribe to that stuff or are you more just straight up like, you know, Hey, I know they help my health and my nutrition and that's why I eat them. And a little bit on both sides of that. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I started out and I still am as a scientist and my background is, is in sort of more hard research science is how I started this journey. And that's what sort of gave me the ability to sort of go in and research um, peer reviewed journals and really, really go into depth about learning about all of these species. But on the flip side of that, I do have a relationship with the plants. I do, you know, I do talk to the plants. I do, uh, I do thank them when I, when I gather. And I've spent a lot of time in the Kalahari with the, my community over there. And they have a really wonderful relationship with the plants and they believe that you have energy and speak to them. And I believe they do too. So I don't, I can't say one has actually spoken to me, but, uh, but I definitely have a relationship with them. So I believe also that there's so much we don't know. So I've known people who've had plants gift them a song, or I've had known someone who the same tree gifted someone a song in Canada that they did in the United States. It was bizarre. So, you know, there are all sorts of wonderful stories and think that there's so much we don't know. So I think that I'm very open to the idea. But for me personally, I tend to take a bit of a more scientific approach, but I don't discount any of the stories that I hear because I believe that everybody has a different energy and different way of relating. Are there people researching plant medicine or is it more yeah. just experiential triad and what are, what's being researched? And so? so much is being researched around plant medicine. And I have to say, I'm so thankful to the researchers who are, are looking into it. The mushrooms are one of the things that are being extensively researched right now because there's so much 
hope for people. For example, lion's mane mushroom is one that I take every day. And with a nervous system disease, which MS is, you know, there's always the, the worry about how is your nervous system functioning? Can you, they say that you can't remyelinate nerves, but lion's mane is actually shown to help with remyelination and even help increase nerve growth factor, which is extremely important if you're trying to repair damaged nerves, something we didn't even think possible, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So there are a lot of researchers looking into, I'd say a lot of different plant medicine, but really the mushrooms is where a lot of attention is going right now. And I'm I'm just thrilled because Western medicine does not have a lot to offer people with autoimmune illnesses um, or dementia or Parkinson's and all of those. So I, I'm so thrilled that that researchers are looking into it and, you know, actually publishing information that backs up the use of these mushrooms for, for so many different things. You know, I heard, uh, I spoke to uh, Donnie Yens, and I believe he talked about tamoxifen and he said, you know, it's a cancer chemotherapy drug. Mm-hmm. He said there's, I don't know, 15 different analogs of it in the plant it comes from. And, you know, modern medicine has just isolated one of them and that's the chemo treatment. But you seem to say that, you know, if you have all the other ancillary substances that the treatment's a lot more effective. So what I wondered is if if you know someone or if you yourself have been prescribed a drug that came from a plant, and if you supplemented with that plant as well, um, if that would make the drug more effective for you or if you've ever tried anything like that. Well, I think, well, most drugs come from a plant source to begin with. I mean, even look at something that everybody knows, which is aspirin. It, you know, salicylic acid, the salicylates, came originally from the plant Meadowsweet. Willow has a lot of, uh, of, of aspirin in it. If you, you know, take the tip of a willow and chew on it, you can actually taste the aspirin. And so for the most part, modern medicine really is derived in plant medicine. And so I always think, yeah, great to go back to the source. I think that was a great point that he made, and I would wholeheartedly agree with him. Okay. Um, are there any plants that you, that you wanted to try, but you just... Uh... I mean, you haven't been able to get a hold of or that you'd like to try, but uh, they're not local to you or for other reasons you can't get them? I feel like in our modern world, it's pretty easy to get a hold of most things if you, if you want to nowadays. Um, and also, like you were saying before, you know, really in your region, most of what you need grows around you. And I've really found that. I've found that most of what I need grows in my region. So I don't really need to reach outside of that region for things. And I really love that. I feel like there's really, there's beauty in that, that everything you have is at your fingertips. And so, no, there's nothing that I can think of that I've, I've tried some pretty exotic plants and, um, and all my travels over the world, but there's nothing that I felt that I needed that I couldn't access here at home or have a replacement here at home where I live. So I think that everybody should be able to find mostly what they need around them. But if you want to supplement with something that grows on the West coast and you live on the East coast, there's no problem with that, of course. But I think that, I think that really you can, you can really find what you need out your own back door if you if you really want to. Well, that's good. You don't have to like climb up a thousand feet to a cave on the side of an ocean on the side of a mountain. <laughs> no, it might be fun, but, <laughs> but you don't have to, right? It'd just be an adventure. <laughs> well, that's that's how I, I see a lot of herbs positioned as it grows in this one meadow in outer Mongolia and only there. And you know, it's expensive and it helps with ABC, et cetera. You know? But if you can find it all locally, that's much better. So that's excellent. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, so what are some resources for listeners? Like what's the title of a new book? When's it coming? And then mention your other books and websites and stuff, please. If you would. Oh, great. So if you're, anyone's interested in my herbal apothecary, it's nicolesapothecary.com. And there is a search function. So you can put it, put in something and, and see what might work for you. 
then my website is Nicole Apelian, A-P-E-L-I-A-N.com. And if, don't wait, if you can't find it, search Nicole from alone and it'll pop up. And uh, on there, my blog has so much information. And I think that's a great place for people to start. Also a search function in case you're searching for a particular plant or a particular ailment. And my books are on my website, NicoleAppellian.com backslash books. And I have uh, three books out. One is about outdoor preparation. And one is my Lost Book of Herbal Remedies, The Healing Power of Plant Medicine, which is a really excellent herbal book and very comprehensive. And then the new one coming out next month will be available soon. Hopefully by end of April, May 1st, is The Forager's Guide to Wild Foods. And that covers plants, lichens, mushrooms, and even seaweeds. So it's going to be a great book. I'm in the final proofs now, and I'm just, I'm so excited for it to come out. So I hope that people will really enjoy it. Oh, yeah. One thing, so you're on, uh, you're in Washington State, I guess. I remember going years ago to, I think, Whidbey Island or something, and they had these weird, gigantic seaweed things mm-hmm. that washed up on the shore. So do you, you use those as medicine oh, as I, well? Yep. I know just what you mean. Probably the bullwhip kelp. <laughs> it looked like a whip, yeah. maybe. Yep. Yes. Yes. I like to pickle those. <laughs> They're so good. They're delicious. That's in the book. And uh, I have recipes in there, too, so you can figure out how to eat it, when to harvest it, what parts of anything is edible. And really, for seaweeds, most seaweeds are edible. So seaweeds are a really a really easy thing to forage if you live on the coast. As long as you're foraging from a clean area, you're probably going to be okay. So. Yeah. Well, last question. Have you tried to make it a game where you only eat stuff you forage? Like how much of your diet could you conceivably get from foraging? Right. We, we get a lot. You know, I've done that before, obviously, when I've been out on these, these shows and these quests, et cetera, for months, two months at a time. Um, I've only eaten, of course, what I've been able to fish, hunt, and forage myself. So at home here, you know, we do, we, we try to get as much as we can from our land, from the, from the forest around us. I do supplement with, you know, some modern food because, well, it's easy, but we have, and we have chickens for eggs and those sorts of things. But uh, I, so anyway, yes, I have, I have done that, but primarily under the guise of uh, a show or, or a, a personal journey that I, I've been doing myself. But I love, I love doing that. I really feel like you can get what you from the land. And you have to be, uh, you have to really know a lot though, because it can be difficult if you don't. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Nicole, thank you for coming on. And uh, it's super interesting what you're working on. So very, very cool. Great. Well, thanks for having me today. And I really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.